George, have you seen Morgan? No. He's been coming in later and later. Is there something wrong? No, not that I know of. <laughs> really? Hmm. Well, make sure he signs this. Oh, look, George, if there's a problem with Morgan, you can tell me. Morgan? No, he's doing a great job. <laughs> I understand. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello. Hello. And welcome to this week's episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We're a Melbourne-based podcast, and every week we take an episode of Seinfeld at Random and examine the secondary characters from it. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. And I'm the other host, Ivan. And this week we're going to Season 7. We're going to talk about The Wink. That's right, Season 7, Episode 4, and a bit of an enjoyable episode, this one. Yeah, lots going on, uh, lots to laugh at, and uh, most importantly, lots of secondary characters uh, we will dive into. Absolutely, some very interesting ones too, especially uh, James, Elaine's episode boyfriend, as well as Holly, who's Elaine's cousin, who is also Jerry's, I guess, date for the episode, Paul O'Neill, the Yankees player, who appears, and uh, the young, terminally ill boy, Bobby. Yeah, as well as uh, Morgan and uh, Wilhelm, we do have a episode dedicated to them. Uh, what's the deal with the Yankees staff way back when? Uh, but we'll talk about mm-hmm. them in the context of this episode. But if you want a full report, uh, go back in our feed and uh, find that episode from uh, a couple of years ago now. Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit as well. You can listen to all of our previous episodes on any podcast app you choose. And uh, if you want to help us, you can rate us or review us. That would be uh, awesome. It helps us with visibility and uh, helps get the word out uh, among Seinfeld fans. Absolutely. And uh, you can support us financially, Patreon, PayPal, as well as Pod Hero. And on Patreon for our $2 a month subscribers, we give you a season- 11 our bonus podcast so season 11 is a podcast where we get episodes of seinfeld and we come up with them ourselves and uh, we read them out to you but uh, this time they are set 20 years into the future that's right we did season 10 uh the beginning of last year so about 18 months uh and that was set 20 years after the end of seinfeld uh in 1998 this is set uh yeah well 21 years as ivan said mm-hmm. and uh we're up to our third episode on patreon uh of season 11 so uh season one uh, sorry episode one is available on the feed if you want to get a sampler and you can go back in our feed again and listen to all of the season 10 episodes i believe it's later uh, the later half of last year if my memory serves me correct Um, but if you want future season 11 episodes you will have to sign up to the patreon absolutely now before we get into the episode my friend let's do our usual segments to start the podcast seinfeld isms so what has happened in real life to you that seinfeld related my friend uh, I have two Seinfeldisms this week. So I was in an op shop, uh, which for our American listeners is a thrift shop. Uh, that was on the weekend. And I was just about to leave and I looked up and above the counter, above where the, the clerk was uh, working, right at the top was a Seinfeld DVD box set, which isn't that unusual, especially in secondhand shops. However, it was a box set for the entire series. Uh, and it was uh, the box was actually Jerry's fridge. So it was special packaging, which was really cool. Jerry's fridge, okay. So it had the uh, cow oven mitt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the front was uh, Jerry's fridge, obviously the doors, and then you open it up and it's got uh, all of the food that would be in his fridge. Uh, just a normal fridge, really. And yeah, and then you open it up again and you've got all the DVDs. It was $35 and I was thinking about buying it, but mm-hmm. uh, I decided against it because I don't even have a DVD player and a box is not worth $35 for me, even if it's Seinfeld. Yeah. The streaming and pirating is the way to go, huh? Uh, streaming, streaming. <laughs> streaming these days, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what I meant, streaming. Yes. Of course, yes. Pirating is just <laughs> another name for streaming, right? 
Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. I suppose. Second Seinfeldism is uh, one of my good friends, Andy, who you know, Ivan. Uh, he, mm. I think I've talked about him a bit on this podcast. He's been a few Seinfeldisms for me, actually. He is a collector of everything. Uh, anything you can think of, he's probably got a collection of it. Uh, and in his collecting adventures, occasionally he finds some Seinfeld goodies. And uh, when he, he lives in the country, in country Victoria, um, sometimes he comes down for a visit or I'll go up there. And uh, he's usually got one or two little bits of Seinfeld paraphernalia. Uh, this time he had a Kramer uh, sticker of the Kramer portrait, which he gave me, uh, which is pretty sweet. Mm. And mm-hmm. a old DVD promotional insert. Uh, I don't know which DVD it came in. Um, he's a massive collector of DVDs and VHSs. And uh, he found this old ad. I think it's from around 99, 2000 when DVDs were starting to take off and box sets were starting to be a thing. Uh, and it's promoting the the Seinfeld uh, DVDs that had just come out at the time. So it's probably about 15, 17 years old, which is pretty cool too. Yeah, it's a pretty vintage for Seinfeld. Yeah, but because it was sitting in this DVD case for all that time, it's practically brand new. But um, yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Do you have any Seinfeldisms? Mm, very cool. Just one, my man. So I, actually, I sent this to you because we, we work in the same <laughs> office. I uh, went to, to fix an account today and the customer lives on Kramer Street. But uh, it's a bit similar to your one last week where it was C-R-A-M-E-R, but this one was K-R-A-M-E-R, much like Cosmo. Yeah, no, we have had a few Seinfeldisms from uh, just random names at work and street names and stuff. So uh, it's always good when they come up. We usually send them to each other. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's pretty good. (laughs) Seinfeld News, our next segment. Bit of a slow week in regards to Seinfeld. I was searching desperately for some uh, juicy stories, but nothing really came up except uh, a couple of anniversaries. The first being uh, Larry David's birthday. So he turned 73 on the 2nd of July, which was about four or five days ago. And it was also the 31st anniversary of the first airing of Seinfeld, which happened on July 5, 1989 with uh, Good News, Bad News. That's right, and we have done an episode of that already, so check that out. Indeed. Yeah, again, way back in your feed, so. Mm, way back. Quite a while ago, yeah. so Almost of... when Seinfeld first started. <laughs> yeah. We did it in 1989 when we were babies. It feels like that. I was five, and somehow <laughs> we were podcasting when it wasn't even a thing. Let's have a really quick break, and when we come back, we're talking about some secondary characters from today's episode, The Wink. You're listening to, but I don't want to be a secondary character. The Wink first aired in the US on October 12th, 1995. This one was directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Tom Gamble and Max Prose. In this episode, Jerry squirts grapefruit juice in George's eye and he develops an uncontrollable wink in his eye, which gets him into uh, lots of trouble. Uh, this causes Kramer to sell Steinbrenner's birthday card and George's co-worker Morgan, played by Tom Wright, in his final appearance on the show, uh, gets fired. Uh, Elaine is dating a wake-up service guy named James. She met on the phone. He's played by Brian McNamara. Jerry is dating Elaine's cousin Holly who loves to eat meat. She's played by Stacy Travis. Jerry tries to impress her by pretending to eat her mutton but actually stuffs the chewed up pieces into Grandma Mima's napkins and into his jacket. Elaine borrows Jerry's jacket and gets chased by dogs. She has to spend the night at her boyfriend's house and they sleep head to toe on his sofa bed. Kramer makes a deal with a terminally ill boy named Bobby, he's played by Thomas Decker, that if Paul O'Neill hits two home runs he'll give Kramer the birthday card back. And lastly, James's dogs find the mutton and the used napkins are used as dogs bandanas, Holly tries to cook Jerry pork chops and he stuffs it into the sofa and James's dogs find it as well. A lovely uh, wrap-up of everything at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you always hide meat in your pockets? Sometimes I use the sofa. 
sometimes they use a sofa. I like how at this point in Seinfeld, he just doesn't care. He's like, nah. oh, look, I've just, I've just, you know, uh, cooked it with this woman. I'm just going to cop to it. It's all good. Whatever. Well, I don't think he really liked her anyway. I think he just kind of went out with her to please Elaine. Yeah. I mean, she's attractive, but um, we'll talk about her a bit later. But yeah, I can understand why Jerry maybe wasn't that into her. Yeah, me too. So other secondary characters, Richard Hurd, he plays Wilhelm. Paul O'Neill, the baseball player, plays himself. And Ian Patrick Williams plays Stubbs, the memorabilia seller. So a bit of trivia about the episode, my friend. So the number of times Steinbrenner repeats Billy Martin at the end of the episode is a reference to the fact that the former Yankees manager was a given a multitude of second chances. That's Billy Martin. So out of interest in gambling circles, a second chance is known as a Billy Martin. So it's a nice yeah. little reference to that. Yeah, I guess it's uh, kind of a good thing. Maybe the, the silver lining uh, of you know getting fired. I'm assuming that he wasn't a great manager if he got a bunch of second chances. But uh, the silver lining is that you have a, a gambling term named after you. So swings and roundabouts. Yeah, uh, there's a rumor and apparently this hasn't been confirmed and the source is unknown, but there's a half decent rumor, I'd say, that in the opening scene when you hear James's telephone voice, his wake up call voice, that that was voiced by uh, Peter Dinklage uh, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's right. That's what I heard. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Uh, I was listening to Signcast, the, I guess you would say, premier Seinfeld podcast. They made mention that there is no official source of that. Uh, he's not actually cast in the episode, um, if you watch the original credits on the DVDs. And the source itself was maybe from an interview that someone gave. It doesn't seem to be a verified source. You listen to it and it does sound like him, but... Yeah, you can't verify it in any sort of uh, official way. Yeah, of course. Well, well, Peter is American and uh, he was obviously much younger when Seinfeld came out. So I, I could imagine, like, how old's Peter Dinklage now? Like in his 40s, maybe? Uh, yeah, I could probably say... see him as like a young guy, you know, doing it. And obviously because of his uh, his stature, he couldn't play James at the time. Um, so who knows? Maybe uh, they just needed a voiceover guy to do the, the job. Uh, I'd probably say it's him. Yeah. Yeah, look, I am not going to let a good story get in the way of the truth. So whether it's him <laughs> or not, doesn't matter. It's still interesting trivia. And he's gone on to bigger, better things. Yeah, indeed. He, uh, he probably doesn't care about a Seinfeld voiceover at this point. <laughs> I don't think so, no. Uh, no. Do you have any other trivia? Yeah, when Elaine walks past or she's first trying to escape from the dogs, uh, two restaurants that are in her way as she's trying to avoid them, a Chinese restaurant and a frozen yogurt shop. They are two iconic locations on the show. Yeah, no really good uh, continuation there and good little nods to past episodes. One being yeah. one of the most classic Seinfeld episodes. So I do like it uh, when they make nods to previous uh, episodes, even if it's not part of the plot for this episode, it's just there. Really nice touch. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Bobby, the uh, sick kid who Kramer <laughs> doesn't seem to really care about all that much. <laughs> nah. He's played by Thomas Decker, and he's the same kid that Mickey was the stand-in for on the uh, Seinfeld soap, I guess you call it, All My Children, in the episode mm -hmm. The Stand-In, which we did relatively recently, maybe six weeks ago or so. So I'll go back and Yeah, that. that's really cool. Yeah, I wonder if it's the same. Uh, was he named in The Stand-In? Did he have a name, or was, uh, he just, was he just like child actor or something? I think child, maybe child actor. Like, I, I think his character was named, but not him. Right, okay. From memory, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of actors play more than one character uh, on Seinfeld, so it's not that unusual, but I'm always wondering, you know, is it the same kid? You know, did he <laughs> did he, did he, he come down with the terminal in us, you know, in a matter of, what, a few episodes? I'm not sure. Actually, no, the stand-in's after this, isn't it? I think it's season six. Oh, okay. It's Mickey Abbott's debut, so. Oh, yeah. Oh, true. no, it might, be, might, might even be season five. That's true, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the earlier seasons. So it came before this, yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Maybe he had yeah. a terminal illness. Not sure. But uh... <laughs> yeah, he got sick and they cancelled the show. Yeah. Oh, maybe. yikes. That's rough. Really? That might play into his theory. Maybe Bobby was the actor or the child actor's name. 
in the stand-in, and he yeah. gets a terminal illness, and it ends his career. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other trivia? No, that's it, buddy. But anyway, let's get on to it, shall we? We will talk about today the James, I should say. We'll start off with him. He's played by Golden Globe-nominated actor Brian McNamara. Uh, and of course, like you mentioned, Stephen, the voiceover, well, presumably, was from Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. Brian was nominated for a Best Supporting Actor Golden Globe for Billionaire Boys Club in 1987. He's appeared in the films The Flamingo Kid and Short Circuit, as well as TV shows such as NCIS, Hawaii Five-0, the remake, and Army Wives. Now, Stephen, I reckon that he probably bought those dogs because he's a big, like a huge dog lover. I think probably he might have had a partner or a wife and maybe they were either separated or maybe she passed away. He kind of inherited the dogs. Oh, okay. I can see that. I thought what you were going to say was that maybe he had a wife or, you know, some sort of substantial relationship and they broke up. Or, you know, I mean, it would work too if his uh, partner passed away that Mm. uh, rather than inheriting them, but he bought them as uh, a way to fill the gap left in his life. You know, he- Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he he wanted to pour his love into the dogs because he's he's very much an obsessive dog owner. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he refers to them as his children, like some pet owners do. (laughs) Of course. Well, they even have their own bedroom because my my other theory with him was that he lives in a one-bedroom apartment, but his wake-up call business is like his home business. So he's got like his home office where he probably has a phone and, you know, a list of contacts and, you know, he goes in there to make his calls. But I think there's probably not enough room for him and the dogs to sleep because they're larger dogs. So they probably sleep on the floor. And uh, because, you know, he says that at the sofa bed that he sleeps on that. Yeah, I thought the implication in that line was that the dogs occupy the bedroom. You know, he... Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the bedroom is also like the slash the home office as well. So it's probably got like his desk. Because obviously, you know, with dogs, dog beds aren't that big. I mean, he could easily put a bed in there with the dog beds. But I think because he might have his desk and his files and all his documents and stuff for his job, maybe the dog's... You know, maybe he's got the beds, you know, on the other side of the room and it's so small. Right. So, yeah, it does look like a bit of a pokey apartment. So that would make sense. (laughs) It does. And and that came into my theory where maybe like her, him and his late wife or girlfriend probably had a bigger place with dogs. They probably had like a house. And then when she passed away, you know, he didn't have enough money and then maybe he had to downsize. Yep. No, that that makes sense. That lines up. He seems like a real outdoorsy guy. The way he dresses and sort of his enthusiasm. Mm. He just reminds me. Very rugged dude. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not rugged in that, you know, he would probably go mountain and climbing on K2, probably more of like maybe a hiker or, you know, just likes his sports. And yeah, he just reminded me of like a super keen, enthusiastic hiker. You know, I can imagine him (laughs) going to upstate New York or, you know, somewhere out outside of NYC and taking his dogs and spending all day, maybe even camping, you know, with them sort of for the solitude and maybe as a way to, to help him heal from his loss. But he just seems like a real sort of sporty, outgoing, outdoorsy type of guy. Yeah, he does seem really outgoing and outdoorsy. And uh, yeah, he just has like a good good attitude. Yeah, yeah. He seems really relaxed. Um, I reckon he'd be a good guy to have a beer with. Yeah. He's probably one of those guys that uh, you can't really say a bad word about. Mm. You know, he's just, he's loved by everyone because he's just so down to earth and he loves his animals and, you know, he's just an easy guy to like. Well, he's really keen on Elaine's voice. I mean, what do you think it is? Do you think he's just easily swayed by the way that a woman sounds or is it maybe something that just clicked? Well, I think because he talks to a lot of people via his job and most of those conversations would be you know announcing this is your wake-up call and hanging up i think he feels like he's in a position of strength when it comes to flirting not in a manipulative Mm. way but just that he's the wake-up call guy he's in his wheelhouse when it comes to doing that so if he does get into a flirty conversation like he does with elaine it's an avenue of flirting or trying to meet women that he feels comfortable in because it's his job so i think Mm. um yeah i think he genuinely liked the sounds of elaine's voice and 
you know, if his partner passed away, you know, maybe is at a time in his life where he's ready to meet someone and he feels a bit uneasy about meeting them in person. So, you know, using the uh, the the uh, wake up call space, I guess, or opportunity, he hears someone that he thinks sounds uh, like they're worth talking to and he pursues it and it pays off. So I think it's just where he feels most comfortable. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, well, obviously his wake-up call is a home business and, you know, that's probably his his main income. But uh, Elaine ruins it for him because they slept from head to toe. And I think, because he does mention he's got a lot of clients with the 6.30 a.m. Uh, slot, I think that's probably the bulk of his clientele. So, you know, losing all of those clients because he didn't wake them up really affected him financially too. Yeah, I reckon uh, he probably would have had to. I reckon he would have gotten them back because I think his clients would you know, he'd probably have a chat to them and maybe, you know, before they book his services, he probably has a brief chat to them on the phone just to get to know them and understand their sleeping habits and, you know, just so he can do his job a bit better. And I imagine that all of his clients might have been ticked off that he missed a, missed a wake up call, but I reckon he would have talked them around and eventually won them back because he's so likable and because he's generally so good at his job. You know, it was- yeah. except for Mr. Morgan though. Except for Mr. Morgan because uh, <laughs> the cost the cost wasn't just sleeping in, it was uh, his, uh, his job and he was on his last legs anyway, so. Yeah, and his marriage too yeah that's true yeah, yeah <laughs> i feel sorry definitely. for him oh i know he just cops it but he you know he's a bit of an asshole in earlier episodes too so he kind of in a way he kind of deserves i think a bit of treatment but not losing his job and maybe even his wife i mean that's pretty rough yeah i mean he's a bit grumpy and he's a bit uh shitty to george sometimes he you know he has mm. an obvious dislike for george which i mean yeah. is fair enough as well because george is a is a scumbag let's be honest but um <laughs> yeah. yeah i i don't i think the punishment uh was more than the crime oh absolutely yeah no he didn't deserve that he didn't deserve his whole livelihood being shattered <laughs> no. uh anyway <laughs> no. just just on James, the only other thing that yeah. um, I wanted to say about him is that I think he really appreciated that sleep in. He didn't seem too bothered. I'm someone who struggles with sleep, so I understand the feeling of just constantly being tired. Um, and I imagine that he would be, you know, sometimes really desiring a sleep in, but he can't because of his job. But for some reason, maybe he was just accumulatively tired or something. But Elaine wakes him up and says, you know, you've got to you've got to wake up your people. And he just doesn't seem too phased. He's like, oh, it's fine. You know, I'll call them later. And he just rolls mm-hmm. over. And I think I think he could he could have pushed through his tiredness to make his calls and then gone back to bed in the afternoon. But I don't know, it, it seemed like he was at a point where he was so tired or in such uh, need of a sleep in that he was willing to just be flippant about it and go, you know what, I just need to sleep. My sleep is more important than uh, potentially losing clients at this time. Yeah. And you mentioned before that he had the charisma to get most of his 630 clients back so uh, it didn't really affect him too much in the long run no i mean short term he was a bit annoyed at elaine uh, but mm. you know after a week or two i'm sure he talked them around or at least some of them definitely yeah yeah Okay, uh, let's talk about Jerry's episode girlfriend, Holly. And Elaine's cousin as well. So she's played by Stacey Travis. She's appeared in the films Intolerable Cruelty, Easy A and Ghost World. And on TV, she's appeared in episodes of Boston Legal, Desperate Housewives and Entourage, among many others. So yes, she is Elaine's cousin. And uh, she says that she used to go to the steakhouse with uh, Grandma Mima, an unseen character, Elaine's grandmother as well. And uh, yes, she probably developed a nice taste of meat or for meat from uh, Grandma Mima. She probably cooked a lot of roasts and stuff too, the grandma. Yeah, she she loves her meat. I mean, she loves it so much that she judges uh, other people through through the frame of meat. Yeah, you're obviously against that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of eating meat, but um, I wouldn't judge someone for what they do or don't eat, personal choice and all. So it was a bit, uh, I guess, a bit disappointing that she's so judgmental. And she kind of implies that Jerry is let, well, she doesn't imply it, but at least to Jerry, she you know, she must have said it to Elaine when they were talking about the date after the date debrief uh, that, you know, Jerry's less of a man or is is not masculine <laughs> because he wanted a salad. Yeah, just a salad. Just, just a salad. salad. 
just a salmon. Yeah. Just a salmon. I love that. <laughs> it is good. He's he's uh he's uh disturbed and concerned about his choice. Yeah. It's really nineties humor though, isn't it? I mean, not eating meat, you know, makes you less of a man. It's a bit yeah. outdated, isn't it? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, anyone who I think anyone who links up masculinity and their ability to eat animals is probably a bit a bit dated. In, let's say. in the Stone Age. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. so. She's also got a pretty passive aggressive attitude towards Elaine. It seems like that that there's some old rivalry or tension there mm. that hasn't quite resolved itself. Elaine seems a lot more relaxed about her than uh, she is about Elaine. But I think she enjoys sticking uh, it to Elaine when they're over for dinner, and you know she keeps on talking about what she got from uh, Grandma Mima after she passed away. And you can see that Elaine's frustrated, um, especially when she says, "Oh no, no, she only got the napkins out on the good occasions." You know that visibly frustrates Elaine and sort of probably. Makes makes her think hang on like makes a question her past um yeah and i think i think holly derives some sort of subtle joy out of that it seems passive aggressive rather than just naive yeah because elaine because oh, i should say so holly bad mouths elaine too because when they're at the restaurant she says to jerry oh elaine never liked grandma mima yeah so th- there seems to be some old family tension or rivalry that hasn't quite resolved itself yet and i think uh holly's playing on that just to sort of stick it to elaine in that scene and i think she honestly gets joy out of it i think she for some reason has a has a strong i wouldn't say dislike but uh, a strong desire to sort of wind Elaine up. Yeah, well, she just hangs on to the past. I mean, I know some family members and stuff who hang on to things from the past and they kind of get joy from, you know, talking about what happened in the past and the good old days and stuff. And they don't really talk about the future or what's going on in the present. So I can kind of understand. I mean, Holly probably, you know, Elaine's kind of moved on from the Grandma Mima stuff and Holly's still using it to try and use it as leverage for Elaine. Yeah, look, we don't really understand how they're cousins, whether it's by blood or by marriage, but maybe there was some tension between uh, either either Elaine's parents uh, or mum or dad and um, uh, Holly's parents, you know, and sometimes that that tension can get passed down to the kids, even if it's not about them. They, they, mm. you know, they, they carry on that legacy of tension. I've seen that in families where there's tension amongst the parents, amongst the brothers and sisters, and then that rivalry carries down to the kids, even though there's nothing actually going on between <laughs> the kids. Be so you don't like think it's anything to do with Grandma Mima per se? So you think maybe Holly's parents uh, passed something down onto Holly to antagonise Elaine? Yeah, look, I, again, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but the fact that Grandma Mima didn't invite Elaine's family over or didn't consider those visits as special occasions makes me think that maybe Elaine's parents were uh, the disappointment to Grandma Memma or something. I don't know, but there's I think there's something going on that is more than just Grandma Memma. It seems like an intergenerational tension or frustration that is currently manifesting mostly on Holly's side. To me, it just had a whiff of something deeper than just you know, grandma members and napkins and, and heirlooms. Like it was just something more complex. Well, I could imagine Mima probably didn't like Alton too much. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if, <laughs> I would understand if there was tension between them. Alton is not an easy man to get along with. No, no. But I guess the question is, I mean, so because I was going to ask you why she might be obsessed with grandma Mima, but you've probably answered my question. You know, maybe maybe grandma Mima was, you know, like a mother figure to her. You know, maybe, mm. maybe, they, had, maybe they had a more special bond than she did with Elaine. Maybe Holly lost her mother or her mother walked out or something. Something like that you know yeah, maybe it's yeah, more yeah. of a maternal thing so you know she's just trying to show their bond by sort of sticking it to elaine i don't i don't know but there's <laughs> something there's something there i just can't quite something there what it might be i mean it could be anything family tensions can be very complex yeah but uh yeah she uses it to antagonize elaine the yeah, and, and stuff yeah yeah and i've got a feeling as well that holly's uh sort of 
close-minded idea of what a man should or shouldn't eat maybe came from grandma Emma as well mm. you know if we, we mentioned Elton before you know Elton thinks that uh, <laughs> Jerry and, and uh, George when he meets them in the jacket aren't very masculine either so maybe they just came <laughs> from a real you know traditional gender role type family yeah. you know like old European beliefs of men do this and women do that maybe you know maybe <laughs> that's carried on a bit through Holly yeah yeah maybe <laughs> do you have anything else about her ah no nothing Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, Stubbs. Stubbs, yeah. Well, I uh, just got his acting, his name. I don't have his credits. He's played by Ian Patrick Williams. Uh, yeah, so he's one of Kramer's many random friends. Um, I imagine Kramer probably went in there to do some wheeling and dealing. And like Kramer does, he developed a bit more of a friendship with him rather than a professional relationship. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he even says, you know, my friend Stubbs, he, uh, he buys this sort of stuff. So I can imagine Kramer coming in there trying to hock all sorts of like fraudulently signed stuff and trying to sort of just wheel and deal as Kramer does, you know, like with the soup Nazi or uh, with the guy who owns the uh, secondhand clothing store, you know, who doesn't want to yeah. buy the cabana crap. Um, from, from the raincoats, yeah. From yeah. the raincoats, yeah. So he, I don't know, he seems to uh, he seems to have a strong network of secondhand shops. <laughs> dodgy or, dealers. <laughs> dodgy dealers. I mean, Stubbs doesn't seem dodgy. His, sh- his shop seems pretty above board. Like if you look in the background of the scenes that he's in, you know, he's selling some pretty high-end stuff. You know, and some pretty like sought after merch items. So I don't think Stubbs is dodgy, but Kramer just loves, I think, being in that world of like, you know, small business owners who sell collectible items or secondhand items yeah. or something. It fits right in. The fact that he's friends with Kramer just makes perfect sense. <laughs> makes perfect sense. And you're absolutely right. I think that, yeah, Kramer's tried to hawk, like you say, so much shit. And then finally, you know, he goes in and says, look, I got this thing from the Yankees. And uh, Stubbs looks at it and says, it's just an envelope. But then he sees the golden birthday card, Steinbrenner's card. And he's like, oh, there's actually something here that's worth something this might be worth something and i think he probably i mean kramer is a wheeler and dealer but he's not very he loves making a deal but he's not very good at getting the good end of a deal like he's he's always happy to settle for anything mm. you know he probably i reckon he probably could have gotten three or four hundred dollars for that card two hundred dollars even by what 1996 standard seems mm. quite low for what it was but i think i think Stubbs is savvy enough and uh, understands kramer enough to know that he can lowball him and kramer will will take the offer just because he loves making the deal it's not about the quantity of the deal it's just about the deal itself we have seen kramer lowball stuff as well like for example you know he gets 20 bucks you know when he goes to the bank when they don't say hello to him you know for a hundred dollars he takes 20 dollars as a compromise and then you know when he goes for the coffee lawsuit they offer him free coffee you know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like Kramer loves the idea of negotiating and going through the process of a deal, but he doesn't have a lot of what's the word tenacity. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's not, he doesn't have a lot of discipline to hold his position to see if he can get more out of it. He sort of just agrees to the first offer, and I think Stubbs knows that and lowballed him, knowing that Kramer would go, "Yep, deal done," without actually pushing back and saying, "How about three hundred or four hundred? So, and I mean, that's Stubbs just being a good business owner. I don't think he's intentionally trying to be dodgy. I think he's mm. just taking advantage of a situation because they're both going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did yeah. like Stubbs for some reason. He just uh, he's uh, I don't know something about him. He, he's uh, he's cool. You seem to like like small business owners or uh, people in the front of the counters or behind the counters. Yeah, I think so. I've always had a soft spot for just like people who sell something that is probably hard to make a living in. Um, you know, mm-hmm. sports memorabilia is pricey, but I imagine it would be sort of low demand but high prices. So you'd be yeah. really trying to push sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess Stubbs fits into that. So <laughs> for sure. Uh, Do you have any other notes on him? No, no, nothing else about Stubbs. 
Okay, let's talk about Bobby. Yep, sure. Played by Thomas Decker. He uh, played John Connor in the short-lived TV series based on Terminator, Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He's also appeared in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and the film Kaboom. Uh, so I guess, because I, yeah, like we mentioned in the stand-in, I don't recall Bobby the actor being mentioned, like his character's mentioned, but I guess we could probably have a bit of fun with this one and maybe say that he's possibly the same character. So maybe he was in... All my, what was it? All my children, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the name of the the soap that he is. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the stand-in. Maybe because that was in season five, and this is season seven. Maybe he had to cut his short his acting career because uh, he couldn't walk. You know, maybe yeah. I mean, like similar to what happened to me. Like when I had my cancer, I had a tumor in my hip, and I couldn't walk for you know six months. So yeah. maybe it's like. He probably had cancer and it's like maybe in his spine or maybe, you know, in his somewhere orthopedic, you know, and uh, it's innate, yeah. disabled him. So he's not able to walk. So I kind of get what it means, but maybe because it's spread and he's not able to, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't have much time left. Yeah, it seems like a terminal illness. He, he, yeah. It, the, way, yeah. the way he's portrayed is very much like a, a Make-A-Wish kid. You know, of like, you're going to die at some point and uh, we're just going to do and give you whatever you want, basically, because you don't have long life left. Yeah, yeah, it's it's terrible, but you know, it doesn't. It's good that they they still made him look healthy and stuff. They didn't make him look sickly or anything, because I think it probably would have added a bit of like a dark turn of Kramer trying to get the card if the boy actually looked physically sick. So it's good yeah. that they made him, you know, look healthy. Because <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. And that kind of makes it a bit funny because it would have been probably you know trying to steal a card off a, a terminally ill sickly child. You know, <laughs> I don't think even for Seinfeld, you know, the writers have probably been like, oh, that's probably been rough. Yeah, no, that's a good point actually. Yeah. I was just thinking with the whole uh, stand. In, you know, is it the same person? The only way that that would work is if in the stand-in he never met Kramer or he forgot Kramer between the stand-in and this episode. Because when he yeah. first, when Kramer first en- first enters the hospital in this episode, he introduces himself as if they've never met. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yes. they they have they couldn't possibly be the same character then. Yeah, because no, Kramer no. would remember who he is. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you know, even if they never met on set, they would have seen each other, or Kramer would have remembered him. You know, even if they weren't, uh, you know, professionally like had a professional relationship, they would have at least yeah. been aware of each other. Yeah. So yeah, well, that, uh, or at least Kramer to him. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So um, mm-hmm. there goes there goes that theory. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I thought we'd have a bit of fun, but it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, that's no, it's all good. Yeah, I really liked Bobby. He's um considering his situation, he's quite plucky. He's quite you know he's got a lot of um a mock. I would say moxie. Like he's pretty he's pretty good at standing up for himself. You know he he sort of he gets what he wants. He's like no no that home run wasn't a wasn't a uh, proper home run. You know and he's mm. like this I'm not giving you this card. Like he's quite um. He's quite good at sticking up for himself. He's got a lot of confidence and moxie for a little kid, which I really respect. Yeah. Can I have some juice? You can have some after Paul O'Neill hits his first home run. <laughs> and he doesn't yeah. even take his eyes off the TV as he takes the juice away from Kramer. <laughs> and that's it. And then as soon as he hits the home run, Kramer just grabs the juice box and starts drinking it. I love the look on Kramer's face when uh, when Bobby goes, only one more to go. And you see Kramer <laughs> briefly turn to him, sucking on the juice, looking really concerned, like, oh, God, yes. I hope he gets the second run. Second yeah, home run. It. that's it so obviously bobby is a big yankees fan as well and uh, i'm guessing well because paul o'neill's his favorite player i I think to go back to the make a wish you know theory that maybe one of his wishes was to see paul o'neill yeah i i imagine if there was a make a wish type scenario in his life it would have been something to do with the yankees you know like gone out to the field and like thrown well not thrown a pitch but you know something something interactive with the players you know or if he had to stay in the hospital having them come over and meet him so yeah no i think 
yeah, he's a Yankees obsessive. I would say even a bigger fan than uh, more than anyone else in the Seinfeld universe. <laughs> yeah, he's mass massive fan. There's lots of kids who love their sporting heroes and their teams. Imagine if Kramer, as an enticement to give the card back, said, "You know, I've got a friend to work for the who works for the Yankees. Why don't you uh, Why don't you meet him? <laughs> his uh, His enticement is getting George to come over and say hello because he works for the Yankees. Yeah, yeah that's it. What a <laughs> shitty deal that would be. Yeah, no, yeah, that'd be a crazy deal. Yeah, no, but I really like Bobby. I like the fact that he uh, sticks up for himself and he's he's got a very like plucky, happy disposition considering his situation, which is very sweet. Yeah, and he's hoping to walk again and Kramer's like, that'd be nice, but I really need that card back. Yeah, and he's just so like, he's almost like Disney levels of saccharine sweet where he's like, oh boy, mm. you know, I'm going to walk again. Like he's, he's almost like, like a Disney character. He's just so upbeat and sweet. Yeah, upbeat and, and sweet like, boy. Yeah, he's like, oh boy, mister, you know, I'm going to walk again, ain't I? You know? <laughs> and then we see Kramer and Bobby fighting for the car. Card and uh, Kramer eventually gets the card with the in the frame and gives it to uh, Wilhelm and uh, he says to George, "You've got to make sure that Paul O'Neill hits a fly ball in his hat." So Hatches I think probably what happened in his, hat. in his hat. So I'm thinking maybe <laughs> Kramer and and Bobby probably were fighting, and you know Kramer and Bobby probably made a compromise, and then Kramer probably lied and said, "Look, I'll give you the card if you know if 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 um, he does this or whatever." So is that what you think? I think Kramer knew that unless he wanted to let rip a card out of a dying boy's hands, which mm. you know is, is like we said, is pretty dark. You don't see you don't see how it works out. You just see Kramer trying to take the card, and then it cuts to the next scene. But um, yeah, I imagine that Kramer would have realized, hang on, I can't just rip the card out of a dying boy's hand. I need to offer him something even more enticing than two home mm. runs. And yeah. uh, but Kramer, I don't think Kramer's being dodgy about it because he wouldn't if he could have easily just lied to him and said, yeah, 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 I'll get him to catch a fly ball and then not said anything to George. But, you know, Kramer's a pretty honorable guy. He's very much a, a fan of doing what you say you'll do. So I think it's a legitimate offer. But just the fact that he offloads that expectation onto George, <laughs> you know, he's just like, oh, by the way, <laughs> by the way, Paul O'Neill needs to do this very extraordinary thing that not many people yeah. could do, even if they had the opportunity. And George is like, what? <laughs> like he just, he's like, what? But it definitely wouldn't have happened. Like George, George is not reliable enough to have uh, tried to make that happen. He would have either forgotten or thought it was too hard and abandoned it. And uh, poor Bobby would have been disappointed. You know, he would have had a home run, but no, no flyable catch and no card. Yeah, I mean, Paul O'Neill's talented, but probably not that talented. Yeah, and Paul O'Neill's. Well, we may as well talk about Paul O'Neill. Yeah, he's uh, he's very. I just like Paul O'Neill in this episode. He's very just straight down the line. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll happily hit that uh, home run for the kid and, uh, yeah. you know, or, you know, do something for this kid in hospital. And then when Kramer actually says what he needs to do, he's like, hang on a minute. That's ridiculous. Like, he's very just like, no bullshit. I really like him. How did you get in here? Yeah, so how'd you get in here anyway? <laughs> how'd you get in here anyway, yeah. Um, so anyway, Paul O'Neill, yes, played by the man himself. Uh, he's a former right fielder uh, who played for the Cincinnati Reds from 1985 to 1992, and then for the New York Yankees from 93 to 2001. So he had a 17-season career, so that's why he's in Yankees gear. Um, he's the only player, for those who are familiar with baseball or love the sport, he's the only player to have played in the winning team in three perfect games. And I had to Google what a perfect game was in baseball. Um, so that's where the pitcher pitches a victory that lasts a minimum of nine innings and no opposing batter reaches base so i think that means where the pitcher strikes everyone out and they don't even yeah. like get a run i think yeah so does that mean even first base or just home back to home base it just says batters reaching base i assume it's probably oh, just no. all bases yeah that, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, Jeez. I mean that's that's pretty insane. You don't you don't let run one run past you. Yeah, that seems even impossible. Like even if one person gets to first base, you know, is that mm. not a perfect game? Like that's I mean that doesn't count for anything. They can get out from first base to second base or something. But if you're True. a baseball fan, and I know we have a lot of American and Canadian listeners, maybe even Australian listeners, if you're mm. a baseball fan, please 
confirm whether that means no runs or no one getting to any base at all. Yeah, I mean, that that's the way that I saw it. It's like he, the, you don't even get to a base, so you just basically strike him out. Yeah, right. Is, that's, that's insane. He's been in three of those far out. Although one would like, be next to impossible. Yeah, that seems, and nine innings. And, you know, a baseball yeah. game can last four, five, mm. six hours. That seems like superhuman yeah. level skill. Man, that will be like if if in cricket they got like 10 wickets and they got like runs. no runs against them. My God, that that's impossible. Yeah, it's it's virtually impossible. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, no, that's, I did, maybe, that's, yeah. maybe that's why Bobby likes him so much. He's that good. He's that good, yeah. Well, and I, I, I liked Paul. Um, I liked how, you know, like Keith Hernandez, he's kind of playing himself. He's not trying to acted up too much i like that you know yeah he could have yeah, easily yeah. like overacted or whatever but it's good that he was grounded and played himself yeah i imagine maybe his uh you know being cast in the show maybe he would have been a bit nervous like keith hernandez was um you know yeah. not really a trained actor but i think he would have used the fact that he is uh okay with playing in front of crowds he would have mm. you know uh sort of used that confidence to sort of help him settle his nerves on set and just play uh, a funny straight up dude i just i just love him for some reason he's good yeah he's good and actually they filmed the scene his scene uh with the yankees because uh, the yankees were playing in anaheim in california and they were playing the california angels they're now known as the los angeles angels but, uh, but that's what they used to be called and uh, yeah they happened to be in california at the time so that's how they uh, got his scene oh uh, okay i didn't hmm, know that yeah yeah, there, you so go. there you go. <laughs> there you awesome. go. There you yes. go. There Do you, you go. Else? Any other secondaries? Just a couple of notes about Morgan and Wilhelm in the context of the episode. Again, we have done uh, an episode on all of the Yankee stuff. Uh, it's called What's the Deal with the Yankee Stuff? It's way back when. So scroll back through our feed to find it. Morgan in this episode seems uh, a bit more like less. Uh, what's the word? Uh, he has a, a goatee and he's bald. Yeah, no, he looks a bit different, but um, yeah, he, does, he, yeah. he just sort of seems like a bit more worn down. He's not really putting up much of a fight to sort of not get fired. You know, I mean, he could easily explain the situation while, with Wellhelm in the room and be like, look, the card isn't signed because of George's stupid friend selling it to uh, Stubbs. But mm. he, he doesn't even attempt to clarify the situation. He kind of no. he kind of just accepts it. And then he's so he just seems so at his wit's end that he's laughing about it. He's like, <laughs> you screwed me again, Costanza. So I don't know, like maybe maybe his life has been difficult generally lately and that's causing him to be late at work. You know, it, it just seems like something else is going on. He's not his usual like fiery self. Like he's usually pretty good at sort of just doing what he wants to do and not taking shit. I feel like he's been having issues with his wife for longer yeah. than the episode. And maybe, you know, maybe she suspected that he was having affairs and then you know she's probably just had like inklings but she's had no hard evidence and then yep. you know when george is there you know he says i gotta go get my massage and george does the wink yeah right massage wink maybe she thinks oh maybe he is actually having affairs and george yeah. is like covering for him so maybe yeah. it kind of reinforces and then she's just like you know so angry that he sleeps on the couch yeah no that i think that's um a pretty good take yeah it just seems like he's worn down and he's not putting up any fight and he's just letting mm. letting the situation get the better of him when he could easily at least have a go at fighting for his job but he's just like he's done he's done yeah because everything's just happening at once so yeah and it's just too much just, for him. Poor yeah dude. he can't fight he can't fight yeah, yeah and and wilhelm you know he's a pretty like like active energetic box like he's always pacing around very quickly but mm. he's normally he's not very sharp like he's sort of a bit a bit um a bit of a space cadet and he's, yeah. he, he's a bit naive generally but in this episode he seems a bit more on the ball you know even though mm. he believes george is winking and you know he's sort of trying to subtly imply that that morgan is slacking off at work he just mm. seems a bit mm. more decisive and a bit more like on the ball even though it's false information he's not a space cadet in this episode so it's almost like mm. a character swap between morgan and wilhelm maybe he's had some uh you know he's been kicked in 
the bum from the top down. Yeah, to, you yeah, know, maybe perform maybe a bit better. Maybe they've cracked the whip a bit, and he's got a, you know, yeah. uh, it's got a uh, some heads have got a roll. Unfortunately, heads have got a roll, especially and and because Morgan's been more supposedly slacking off, so yep. uh, you know they've probably cracked the whip. True, true. Mm, maybe they've yeah, got a yeah. budget cut because they've been spending too much on uh, Yankees trips to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all these, all these, all these, uh, all these private limos and buses. You know, we've got to cut some salaries. Yeah, all these terminally ill children we have to go see. Do we have to? Can we oh. cut these costs? <laughs> I mean, that's why Bobby had never met Paul O'Neill. Budget cuts. <laughs> Morgan lost uh, his job and Paul O'Neill couldn't afford to mm-hmm. go see him in the hospital because of budget cuts. That's it. And that is all the secondary characters from this week's episode, The Wink. Uh, quite a few to get through, which was a nice change. The last few episodes have been a bit low on the secondary characters, but mm. um, we'll take a quick break. And then after that, we will talk about where the character, uh, where the episode sits in our episodes we reviewed so far and whether any of the secondary characters make our top 20 of all time. Ready? I'll have the porterhouse medium rare, baked potato with sour cream. What do you recommend besides a steak? The lamb chops are good. Anything lighter? How do you prepare the chicken? It's a full bird stuffed with ham, topped with gorgonzola. (laughs) You know what, I think I'll just have a salad. Thank you. Just a salad. Just a salad. Now, buddy, out of 134 episodes that we've done so far, for me, The Wink sits at number 70. What about you? Uh, it sits at number 52. Okay, cool. Yeah, so pretty mid-range episode. Yeah, no, I did like it. Um, I didn't really like uh, the Holly storyline with Jerry. Didn't really do much mm. for me. And not because of yeah, the Yeah, it was quite weak. I just didn't didn't find it that funny. And even the uh, James storyline, I thought the dogs were too much in the episode. I did like his character and, uh, you know, the fact that this this attractive, nice guy has dogs, which seem to be Elaine's mortal enemy. I thought that that was a nice, mm-hmm. a nice storyline, but I think it was a bit too heavy on that storyline and it would have been more if... I, I would have liked it more if they concentrated a bit more on the wink aspect and the Yankees aspect and fleshed that out a bit. Maybe even the Paul O'Neill Bobby stuff. I thought that was the stronger uh, material. Yeah. Well, I'm a dog owner and I you know, love dogs. So for me, yeah. it was nice seeing the dogs. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, any of the secondaries to make your top 20? Nobody, but a special mention to Paul O'Neill. What about you? Yeah, no, same for me. None make my top 20, but a uh, special mention to Stubbs. Ah, Stubbs, yes. <laughs> another another guy behind the counter that you love, some weird, yeah. semi-weirdo guy that Kramer yeah, likes. No, yeah, another 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 planet in the weird uh, Kramer universe. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Anyway, that was But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character for another week. Thank you so much for listening. We love getting your emails, your messages, yada, yada. And uh, yeah, we're really enjoying doing this podcast during these, you know, COVID-19 times uh, in Melbourne right now it is a bit tough because we have been locked down <laughs> just today actually for a second time in a few months so uh, it's a bit hard for us to adjust but uh, we're doing what we can to get these episodes out to you. Indeed and uh, if you are in Melbourne uh, or anywhere else that's been affected by COVID-19 we wish you the best of luck and uh, we hope you stay safe and take care and uh, look after yourself and those around you and uh, hopefully life will get a bit easier and a bit less stressful for all of us. And uh, in the meantime, we hope that this can bring you a bit of joy. Uh, And if you want a bit more joy, you can uh, check out our Seinfeld group on Facebook. It's called Seinfeldisms. Just type Seinfeldisms to your uh, in your Facebook search bar and uh, you'll find the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook, which is awesome. 71K members right now. Yeah, yeah, creeping up towards uh, 75 and then uh, in a few months Ooh, it'll be 100,000, wow. 100, 100, which will just be phenomenal. Goodness me, 100,000 people hopefully listen to this podcast. We'll see. <laughs> maybe, maybe 100. Wow. 100, yeah, 100, yes. From 50 to 100, I'll, I'll take it. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> 
anyway, you can triple figures. Yes, you can listen to us on any podcast service. We are on social media at b i d w b a s c. You can email us as well, bidwabaskpodcast at gmail dot com, and you can support us financially through Patreon, PayPal, and now Pod Hero and Patreon. You do get bonus goodies, including our bonus podcast season eleven. So for two bucks a month, you can uh, check that one out. Next week, Stephen, we are going to season six and talking about the Scufflaw with uh, John Lovitz. Nice. I can't wait for this episode. Yes, and uh, Newman has a has a. I think he's in this episode quite prominently too. Yep. No, anything with John Lovitz, uh, sign me up. Yeah, indeed, and Newman too. So yes, we'll be back next week for that. You take care of yourselves and each other, and uh, you have a good one. Take care. See you later. See ya. <laughs>